All right, how are we doing? Cool, look at your neighbor and say, are oh, you looking good tonight? Yes. Nice. All right. Welcome to our final service at Littleton. Um, this campus has been such a beautiful, and I, I was reminiscing this week, it has been such a beautiful season for us at Young Adults. Uh, when we moved here, we, we uh, were at Golden. We had about 200, sometimes 250 people that were coming. When we moved here, it was a faith move. We felt like God was calling us to move here. And uh, when we moved here, the very first week, we had about 180 people. And then it was like 150 people the week after that. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Worst idea ever. And so we prayed a lot, uh, but God was faithful, and he was true to his word. And so um, we're just grateful for everything that he's done here, that, uh, the time that we've had here, um, the volunteers that we've met and that, um, that have been raised up, the different leaders that have been raised up. It's just been beautiful. And we're excited for the new chapter, but we do know, you know, like you have to say goodbye to say hello. And so it's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to miss the chandelier personally. I'm going to miss our awesome kitchen back here. And um, I'm going to miss the fact that um, this place used to be a dinner theater. And that's just rad. So, um, so we have been in a series called Heights. And the whole point of this series, the reason we did this series at the beginning of the year is because we like to talk about the fact that all of us have potential. And we like to talk about this at the beginning of the year because it's a time where we're thinking and we're dreaming about our futures. And all of us have potential. If you're in here and you are a Christ follower, you have potential. We believe that. And if you don't believe that, that's all right um, because we are believing it for you. Jesus said in Scripture that we would do greater things than what he did on, on earth. That we would do greater things than what he did. And he says in his word, you have potential. If you don't believe it, go back to my word, open your Bibles, you have potential. And in week one, Doug talked about the fact that your proximity to Jesus is directly related to the types of heights that you will reach in this lifetime. And some of us just settle um, for a portion of Christ when we can have all of him. And so he said, you know, it's time for us to dig in, to get a little bit more serious about meeting him and about walking with him. And in week two, we talked about the idea that um, it's not necessarily uh, always a Christ effort or a Holy Spirit effort with which we engage our lives, but sometimes we bring our own self-effort into what we got and that it doesn't always work out for us. And we talked about leaning into Christ um, and allowing him to work in us and through us in this lifetime. And then last week, Doug talked about the reality that for 20-somethings, a lot of our problem is just getting stuck in this state of fear where we don't move and we don't do anything. And he said, don't do nothing, do something. If you're going to reach the heights, you have to at least try and step out and do something. And what I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight is the type of people in Scripture, because there is a blueprint of the type of person in Scripture that God says will reach the heights. There's a blueprint, there's a specific type of person that in Scripture God says, this is the type of person that becomes in first, this is the type of person that he believes in his kingdom uh, gets first place. And I think um, all of us in here, somewhere deep down inside, we would say that, that I want that. I would like that. I would like to know how to reach my full potential and what you would like for me, Jesus. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 10. 
If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. It's going to be up on the screens. Um, but we are going to meet a couple of guys, and Jesus is talking to them, and they are going to ask Jesus the question, how do we become great in your kingdom? How do we reach the heights in your kingdom, Jesus? And we get to meet these two men to give you a little bit of background. Their names are James and John. Initially, I thought it was James, the brother of Jesus, and I did some research. It's not whatever. It's uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Okay, they were brothers. They were fishermen, and they were a little bit tenacious, okay, like a lot of you dudes in here, right? And they're like, I've got some, I got some ideas, Jesus. I am a passionate follower of you. At some point, though, um, they, they get a little bit audacious. They get a little bit tenacious like a lot of us in here. And um, in their passion for God, they weren't treated very well in a city. And so they look at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, just give us the word, and we'll call down lightning from heaven and burn up this city. And Jesus is like, whoa. You're crazy. And he calls them sons of thunder, which is not a compliment. He's like, you need to slow your roll, you sons of thunder, okay? And so, so these guys, when we meet them, anytime we're talking about the disciples, anytime you read the disciples, you can assume they are a lot like you. They are on fire for God. They love God. They are passionate about following Jesus. Sometimes they have a little bit more action than they have forethought, right? And we can all relate with that. And so they come to Jesus, and this is Mark 10. They come to Jesus, and uh, they ask him, again, not thinking straight through it, they ask him about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And it says this. Uh, so this is uh, 1035. Here we go. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Love it. Okay. And, and he goes, what do you want me to do for you? I love that Jesus doesn't even get mad. He's like, okay. Um, and they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory. And then Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. So basically they're saying, Jesus, how do we reach the heights? We want to reach the heights with you. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says, can you drink the cup that I drink? And in that moment, what he's talking about is his death and his resurrection. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink? Or can you be baptized in the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? And they say, we can. They're like, yup, yes, mm-hmm, we can do that. <laughs> so awesome. So much like us. And so Jesus uh, said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptize, uh, baptism I am uh, baptized with. Excuse me. Jeez. Um, but sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These are places that have belonged to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, right? Because no one likes a kiss up. And... Um, Jesus called them together. Okay, so he's going to make a lesson. He called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as, as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he says, in our world, the way that it works is that the people with power, the people with authority, the people who are reaching the heights, the people who we would look at and we would say, they've, they've made it. The people with authority, they lord it over people, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. He says, you want to be great? You want to know what greatness looks like in my kingdom? You serve. And all throughout scripture, in all three of the gospels, Jesus says the same thing, and he peppers it throughout all three of the gospels, and he says, if you want to be first, he says it this way, you come in last. 
And if you uh, want to be last, then try to make yourself first. That's what he says. So tonight, what we are going to talk about as a body of believers, as the next generation of Christians in this world, as the next generation that is going to move forward his kingdom, we are going to ask him tonight, God, how do we be great? How do we reach the heights in your kingdom? Excuse me. I don't know what just happened. (laughs) I'm sorry. And his answer for us is if you want to be great, you serve. So let's invite the Holy Spirit, and hopefully, I'm sorry about my mic, I always mess it up, um, and I'll pray for us. God, thank you so much for tonight. We invite you here. Um, we love you. You love us. And it's because you love us that we can love people the way that you do. I pray that tonight that people would um, feel the ground shake under them, that they would feel rooted up from their comfortability, from their comfortable Christianity, that we would reach out to people with such courageous love and care, that we would change the environments that we are a part of. I pray that tonight that people would just um, sense your love in such a real way. It would overflow into our lives. God, I pray this over myself, over my family, over this room, and every single individual that's in here, and that we would have an outpour as we move out of this room later on tonight and this week. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, How many of you have had the opportunity of traveling to other countries? Okay. Okay. That's a lot of us. Yes. If you were to say that to, like, like my parents' generation, it would be like, ooh, like we went, does Canada count? You know, and it's like... Uh, so this is awesome. This is a big group. All right, so you guys probably are aware of this, but um, when you walk into a different culture, right, uh, sometimes what's cool in your culture isn't cool in another culture. You know what I mean? Um, I've gotten the blessing and the privilege of traveling uh, a lot of different places. I haven't been to Australia, haven't been to Antarctica, but I've been to a lot of the other continents, so it's just been cool. Um, on one occasion, I had the opportunity to go to Ireland, and it was a mission trip. Uh, We were working with the youth in Ireland and putting together a youth conference and the whole thing. And I remember the very first time I was sitting in church, um, in an Irish church with an Irish youth pastor, and he cracked a joke, and like pure Jess Davis, I laughed and laughed heartily, right? And I was like, oh, and for those of you who don't know me, I laugh laugh heartily, right? And legitimately, half of the auditorium turned around and looked at me like, yo, why are you laughing like that? And it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, I've never been looked at like that like that before, and I'm not really sure what happened or if I did something wrong. And so I just kind of continued on with life per usual. So uh, fast forward, it's about a weekend. Um, I'm hanging out with my friend Jesse. He is also named Jesse, and we were looking at vinyl records in a store. And, uh, and um, I got really excited, started talking to Jesse about these vinyl records I had found, and some little, like, hi, like, middle school kids walk in, right? And I'm talking to them, and I'm kind of expressive, I'm me, you know? And, um, and these kids kind of look up at me, I'll never forget this, and one of them goes, hey, you're boisterous, I. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's like, you're boisterous. And I was like, oh, in the American, he was saying, hey, you're really boisterous hey, you're super loud. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. And it was one of those moments where I realized, like, my personality, who I am, like, what's cool in America is not cool in Ireland. <laughs> 
Like the way that I am received in America is not the way I am received in Ireland, you know? And, and those of you who have traveled, you understand this, that when you are in one world, our world, okay, America, when you are in one world, there are things that work. And you will travel to another country and you will understand immediately that those things no longer work. What was important in your world isn't important in their world. What meant a lot to you in your world doesn't mean a lot to them in their world. And Jesus in scripture, as he talks to John and as he talks to James, he's talking to them and he's saying, there are two different worlds. And there is your world. And there is your kingdom. And there is my kingdom. And we operate very differently. And he said, see, in your kingdom, it's a me first kind of kingdom. In your kingdom, the people who get ahead are the people who try to make the most of themselves, who try to use their power, who try to um, do whatever it takes to get ahead. And he says, not so in my kingdom. In my kingdom, if you want to be first, you come in last. And so let's talk about our kingdom for a little bit. Because in our world, reaching the heights means that um, we do whatever it takes to get ahead. And we know this is true. I don't have to prove this to you, that we are a me-centered, not just, uh, not just um, you know, within this room, but the entire culture is a me-centered culture. Because today alone on Facebook, 250 million images will be loaded onto Facebook. And 40 million images will be loaded onto Instagram one day. And all of those, image will all those images will have one purpose and one purpose alone. And that is to promote ourselves. And um, I was Googling this week and I was kind of like, oh, you know. And, um, and for some reason, I started Googling like um, selfies. And, like, and there was actually like tutorials on YouTube of how to take a good selfie. And there was not just one. There was dozens and dozens and dozens of tutorials on how to take a good selfie. And so I thought that for a kick and to make fun of ourselves, we could take a look at this uh, video. So roll that footage.
Okay, that's enough of that. Um, his name is Connor Franta, and I was like, oh, okay. What would Connor Franta do? Um, what you watched there was a person essentially saying, um, how do we effectively go and take a false image of ourselves and create an environment of ourselves and then project it to a bunch of people that we don't know and we don't care about in order to get a lot of likes so we can feel better about ourselves so that we can say, oh man, I've arrived, right? And, um, <laughs> and it's me too. It's not just, it's not just um, us in this room. It's the entire world. And the American Association, uh, American Psychological Association, they came out with a study recently about our generation. And what they found was that our generation was more concerned with themselves than any generation prior, which just bums me out. And it says this, the study was comprised of a 40 years of research on 9 million young adults. Since the baby boomer generation, your parents, until now, now, there has been a significant decline among young Americans in political participation, concern for others, and interest in saving the environment, according to a new study published by the APA. This data shows that recent generations are less likely to embrace community-mindedness and are focusing more on money, image, and fame. In 2007, the Associated Press came out with an uh, article, and it was about how um, our generation, and I'm including myself, struggles with narcissism. And that um, I was talking with the interns and with my staff this week, and one of the words that came up was that that's our default. Our default is that we are concerned with ourselves. And it says this in the API article. It says, narcissism can have benefits, said uh, study co-author Keith Campbell of the University of Georgia, suggesting it could be useful when meeting new people or auditioning for American Idol. He says, unfortunately, narcissism can also have a very negative effect on society, including the breakdown of close relationships with others. The study asserts that narcissists are more likely to have romantic relationships that are short-lived, at risk for infidelity, lack emotional warmth, and exhibit game-playing, dishonesty, over-controlling, and violent behaviors. Jean Twenge, a PhD and author of Generation Me, Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, and Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever, said that narcissists lack empathy, react aggressively to criticism, and favor self-promotion over helping others. And this mentality has leaked into our churches because we preach a gospel like this. To get, to, get, to get people in the door, I have preached gospels like this, where it's like if you come to Jesus, he will answer your dreams. If you would just come to Jesus, he will, your bucket list for life, he will answer. If you would come to Jesus, everything that you have ever wanted in this lifetime will be handed to you on a golden platter, all of your hopes and your ambitions and your goals. And like James and like John, we come to Jesus and we say, what, will you do whatever we ask of you? I was talking with a friend and um, he works with this guy, John Tyson, in New York City. And, he, and John Tyson said this. He, uh, he said that on Sunday, sometimes we are more likely to hear a TED Talk than we are to hear the gospel and to hear about the Great Commission. And I think that's true. I think that I have been guilty of that at different points in time. And Jesus said, he said, I know, I know what your world is like. I know what powerful people look like in your world. I know what people of influence look like in your world. But he says this, he says, not so in my kingdom. He said, if you would embrace it, my kingdom is so much more beautiful. 
If you would embrace it, my kingdom is so much more life-giving. If you would embrace it, my kingdom is so much more full and good. And he said this, but in my kingdom, the first will, will be last, and the last will be first. And in my kingdom, the people that are the greatest are those who serve. And Mark 10 says this. It says, instead, whoever wants to be um, great among you must become a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, um, to be served, so he's talking about himself now, but to serve and give his life for ransom um, of many. Jesus says, it's okay. I didn't even come to be served. I'm the owner of everything. There is not a single thing here that I did not create, and yet I came to pour out my life for the sake of others. And so tonight, what, um, what can we gather from the life of Jesus? What can we understand from his life that we can hopefully walk out of here and be inspired and be hopeful and be um, recommissioned into our life in a new way? What we can, can we look at his life and say, this is how we reach the heights in his kingdom? And I think the first thing is this. The first thing is this. We shed our power for the sake of another. We shed our power for the sake of another. Um, while Jesus was on earth, um, he lived and he breathed and he served lots of times. On the very last night of his life, he had dinner with his friends. So the 12 disciples are all together and they, um, they gather, they break bread, and they're eating together. And at some point, um, it, the story is told in the book of John, chapter 13, it says that all power and all authority was under Jesus, that Jesus was given all power and all authority, right? And Andy Stanley, I got this from a message of his, but he says this. He says, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when you are the most powerful person in the room? How do you act? How do you respond? What do you do with that authority and that power? Because in John 13, what it says is this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from his meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus takes off his robe, which was a symbol of his status and a symbol of his power. And with that status and with that power, he served his friends. What do you do when you are the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when you're the person with the most authority, with the most clout, with the most influence? Because in Jesus' case, he served. In 2000, <clears throat> a lot of you probably wouldn't recognize this name, but a man named Scott Brugman started praying, and he felt impressed by God to plant a church in Denver. And so he began praying, and over the next four years, he began fundraising. And so in 2001, he would leave his family for weeks at a time and months at a time, and he would drive from state to state and church to church, and every Sunday he would make a presentation to a congregation in order to fundraise for this church plant in Denver. Four years goes by. He does this every single year for four years. He spends time praying. He finally moves his family out to Denver. And in uh, 2004, a young man by the name of Sean Johnson moves to Denver, and uh, he also feels called to plant a church. And he runs into Scott Bergman at some point, and they're having a conversation, and Sean says, yeah, I feel called to uh, plant a church here. And Scott, who has worked for the last four years, raising money, raising funds, praying, spending all time, sacrificing time with his family, says, hey, Sean, how would you like to pastor this church? The building's already here. 
the money's already here. How would you like to pastor this church? Sean Johnson, who uh, became the lead pastor of what we now know is Red Rocks Church, pastors the church for the next eight years, and he leads it. And he leads it during times when we don't have money and he doesn't have insurance and his family doesn't have insurance. And he leads it during times um, when things are struggling and staff is struggling. And he leads it and he can, he's the one who can't sleep at night. He's the one who's uh, bearing the burden of leadership. He's the one who um, has to pray the prayers and make the tough decisions because he's in charge, right? And in uh, 2013, Red Rocks Church, for the very first time, decided to rent out a giant amphitheater and invite thousands of people to our Easter service. And so we get a production team involved and we get a music production team involved and we put everything we got, I mean videos and, and, and we do outreaches to let people know about this. And on that date, Sean came to Chad Brugman, who's the teaching pastor, and he said, hey, how would you like to preach on the biggest stage that this church has ever had? So Chad Brugman gets up and on that day he preached a gospel message 13,000 people came to services, and over 1,000 people met Jesus that day. I say all that to say this. Let me, let me say one more thing. That day, <laughs> Chad spent time with us taking the kids' rock rooms and loading them all back up after he had preached two messages and taking all of the signage and loading that back up and U-hauling it all back to our campuses and unloading it, and then we sang the national anthem, and then we all went and passed out, and it was awesome. I say all that to say this, that every single one of those men, when they handed off their power and when they used their power for the sake of another and to further God's kingdom and to say, not my stage, but Jesus' stage, it was because of that that on one Easter Sunday, a thousand people got saved. And I remember that Easter looking at my pastor, looking at Sean, and like honestly being teary. Being like, I respect this man so much. Biggest stage that this church has ever seen. And he hands it off to his friend. What do you do when you've got the most power in the room? Because here's the deal. Every single one of you have been given a certain amount of influence Every single one of you have been given a certain amount of giftings, a certain amount of power. And what would it be like? Because here's the deal. We are going to be tempted to take that influence, to take that power, and to use it on ourselves. I got this money now. Now what can I do with it? I got this promotion now. Now what can I do with it? What, what's next for me? What's my next goal? What's my next thing? What would happen if a group of people said, I just got this promotion? What can I do to leverage it? for my coworker. I just got this um, gift of money. What can I do to leverage it to help someone else? I just, um, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm the smartest person in my class. What can I do to help another student? I have these giftings. What can I do to leverage my power for the sake of another? If we're gonna be like Jesus, we shed our power for the sake of others. Number two, we put people first. See, in, God, um, in our world, um, we have a laser focus on ourselves, and it's just our default. You don't need to feel condemn condemned about it. It's just, it's just part of the deal, okay? It's real easy for us to say, uh, it's easy for me to focus on myself. It's easy for us to say, well, how do we, how do we make this work out a little bit better for me? 
And in some circles, like, and in the world, the way that we define leadership is so different from the way that Jesus defined leadership. See, um, in, the, in the Gospels, actually, there was never a moment where the word leadership was used. And in the New Testament, the word leadership was only used one or two times. See, the way the world defines leadership is so different from the way that God defines leadership. In fact, he says this. This is Matthew 23. He says, you're not called to be a rabbi for you have one teacher. He's talking about himself. And you are all students. You, um, and don't call anyone father for you have one father who is in heaven. And do not call, be called leaders. He's talking about us. He says, don't be called leaders for you've got one leader and he is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The New Testament term, whenever you hear a pastor talk about like leadership in the New Testament, um, normally when they're talking about a leader in the New Testament, the word for leader is actually the word diakonia. And that word actually translated in the Greek means servant or service. And while we only find the word leader a couple times, twice, three times in the New Testament, we find this word a bunch of times. We find it in Romans 11, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, um, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 6, Colossians 1, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 5. We all want to be leaders. Jesus just wants us to be a servant. And I get it, right? And Christine Kane puts it this way. She says, there's something within us, you guys, that wants to be a hero, that wants to be a hero for the Christian faith, that wants to be a hero in our world. Um, and she said, we already got that. She put it this way. She said, Jesus asked that we pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest. I'm convinced that we don't need heroes. We have a hero. He came 2,000 years ago, and his name was Jesus. What we need is laborers. And I was reading today in, in Joel, and this is totally not even a part of my notes, but I was reading today in Joel, and I was reading the part where it says, um, the harvest is ripe. We just need people with sickles to go after it. And what God needs is laborers in his vineyard to go after his people. And what that looks like is serving and loving and being a part of culture and being a part of people around us. I recently read a book by, um, by John Ortberg. It was called, Who is This Man? And in it, he talked a couple of different times about how Christianity, the whole point of the book was not how did Jesus affect um, Christians. The, the whole point of the book was how did Jesus affect us historically and the trajectory of history, okay? And in it, he's talking about why Christianity spread so fast. And he said it wasn't a sermon, it wasn't a doctrine, it wasn't um, someone who, you know, came along and was like the best evangelist ever, but it was actually groups of people who would serve others. It says this, sociologist Rodney Stark argued that one of the primary reasons for the spread of Christianity was the way that his followers responded to the sick. During the reign of Marcus Aurelius around AD 165, an epidemic of what have been, might have been the smallpox killed somewhere between a third and a fourth of the population, including Marcus himself. And for the most part, people responded in a panic. There was, however, one community who remembered and followed a man, remembered that they followed a man who touched leopards and who told disciples to go and heal the sick. Dionysus remarked, heedless of the danger, these Christians took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the same disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. He notes 
that Christianity spread not because of evangelists, not because of preachers, not because of awesome conferences or awesome books. Christianity spread because people served. Christians were the ones that created the first hospitals, which is why we have St. Luke's and St. Luke's Presbyterian and St. Anthony's and St. Joseph's. That's why our hospitals are named after believers. It's because Christians were the first ones during the plagues in Rome and during the plagues in Europe who, when everyone else was leaving, they would rush in and they would care for the sick and the dying and they would give them proper burials and they would pray with them and their family members and they would take care of them. They were the ones who, when nobody wanted the people who were deformed or the people, the children who were orphaned who would take them in. <laughs> they were the people who, when there were prisoners that nobody wanted anything to do with and who would get spit on, they would go and they would bring them food because normally prisoners would often die of starvation. That is why Christianity spread at the beginning of our world, the beginning of Christianity. And so what would it look like if we decided as a community and decided as a generation that we would not be the types of people that focused on ourselves, but that we would be the types of people that would go into our environments and would shed our power for the sake of other people and who would not put ourselves first, but who would put others before us. And the last thing that I think we can learn from Jesus is that he spent his life chasing his father's dream. Jesus made his dream, his father's dream, and we can spend our lives not chasing our dream, but Jesus's. Um, I'll talk to 20-somethings all the time, and I love it. I love that this is my job. I love that I get to bolster you up. I love that I get to empower you and, and to say, go, <laughs> do something. And I'll sit sometimes with 20-somethings in my office, and normally um, the anxiety that this generation has is based around, um, you know, what is my call in this lifetime? God, what am I supposed to do right now? God, what is my purpose? What is my plan? God, what do you want me to do? Um, How do you want me to move forward? Who do you want me to marry? Like, there's so much anxiety around his plan for our lives. And if it's not that, like, if the anxiety isn't there, like, what's your plan for my life? Then the anxiety is, God, how do I make this plan happen? I know where the planet, but like, how do I make it happen? What's interesting, though, is that the Great Commission talks emphatically about uh, the fact that it doesn't matter. You don't need a plan. There's a plan. And the plan is, is that we go into all of the world and we spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You don't need a dream. You've got a dream. And I think the way that Satan tempts um, this generation and the way um, that he tempts us is um, this, this is the decade where you guys are going to have the most flexibility. <laughs> you're going to have the most time. You're going to have the most energy. Believe me, like if you don't get more energy as time goes on. And this is it. This is it. This is the time where you have the most of that stuff. And what Satan wants to trick you to do in this next decade of your life is to spend all of that time and all of that energy and all of that flexibility journaling about what God's plan is for your life. And he's like, I know your plan. And 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus looked at his father and he said, Father, what do you dream about? What do you dream about, God? And 1 Timothy talks about what God dreams about. And I wanted to share this with you. It says in scripture that what God desires, that word desires is so sweet. What God desires is that all his people can come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that they come to the fullness of knowledge of truth. That they 
get saved and that they get discipled. That's what God, you know what keeps God up at night? You know, you know what he, he can't stop thinking about? You know what he can't stop dreaming about? What like his heart breaks for? The only thing that he ever thinks about is you. And you and you and the people out there. That's his dream. That's his dream is his people. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at his father and he says, I know what you dream about, father. And I will spend my life not on myself, but on your dream. And he came down to earth and he poured out himself in servanthood and in goodness and in sacrifice for the sake of us because God loves us. And what he would love is for a group of people to receive the fact that you are his dream. You are his dream. You are what he thinks about all the time. And he would love it tonight if you would receive that, if you would receive his goodness, if you would receive his love. And then that you would take that love and you would say, now I go and I share that with others because, man, you dream about your people. You dream about your people. And so tonight would you stand, and I just want to read one more verse. This is Philippians 2. And guys, I am believing with all of my heart that this generation will be a generation that is not known as someone, as people who look inwardly at themselves, but as people who look outwardly at others and said, what can I do? What can I do? How can I leverage for you? Philippians 2 says this, do, not, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition, and it's not going to be up here, so just let it wash over, uh, wash over you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, young adults. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Another, another phrase says bondservant, which means um, someone who willingly um, gets released from their slavery, but then who goes back to it so that they can serve some more. It's crazy. I'll get into it another time. Being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Here's how he reached the heights, to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He poured out his life for us. And now we get the option to receive from him and to do the same. If we want to reach the heights, we serve. If we want to be first, we come last. And tonight, as we are worshiping and as we are um, receiving from Jesus in, in this moment of worship, Know that, he's, that you are his dream. And secondly, start thinking and start praying, God, how do I leverage my life and my power for the sake of other people? And I guarantee you, this group of people, I don't care where you are, where you've been, what you've done, he will take you to the heights. Let's worship.